Thank you, Layla. This is the part on the Sermon on the Mount where this is probably the hardest passage to preach. Uh, not because of the word said, but because of the... F- We're fortunate people to live in America, right? Let's just be honest. And that's great to live here. That's the reason why so many people want to come here still. So that's the backdrop, and I'm going to try and do my best to not uh, minimize this text, but a lot of times, in my opinion, you've got to say that now, I should always say that, a lot of pastors and people who write and talk over-spiritualize this text to, to make it in some ways more palatable for us. I'm going to have Nolan, Connor, and Kayla come up here towards the end. I'm preparing you. because not, not now. Towards the end, Nolan. I know you want to be next to me. I love it. But hang on. But I think there's a real strong encouragement for young people too. And I'm going to try and get to that, especially in the culture that we live in. So quickly, let me pray and we'll dive in. Father, help me and help your people. Help our nation and our culture and the way of the times that is programming us from the cradle to be consumers and to believe that we need all things under the sun to be happy per se, and we only need a few. So show us that and show us yourself today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're halfway through this great sermon. We're halfway through the teaching, Matthew 5 through 7. Hopefully you've learned a ton. Hopefully your heart has been gently massaged to see things differently, right? Because when we see the words of Jesus, we should want to see what he has to say. But even for us, a lot of us who've grown up in church, sometimes the church gets it wrong, right? And another name for this sermon would have been maybe Um, pure Jesus or unvarnished Jesus. Just what does Jesus say? Not what does 5,000 years of religious history say? What does American church say? What does Protestantism say? What does all these things? But what does Jesus say? And he has many things to teach us. Things like way back when, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit what? The earth. Who wants the earth? I'd like the earth with less people. No, I'm kidding. I love people. It's great, right? Earth's pretty great. Grace, when you fly soon, look at the earth. It's amazing. Drive to Yosemite three hours away. If you haven't been there, go. But take Advil because you'll be like this the whole day, right? Your neck will hurt because it's amazing. And Jesus says, those who are gentle, kind, meek, you will be rewarded. There's good news for you. Because that's the business of your father. Then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, it's not a spiritual righteousness per se, but correctness. How many of you agree there's things wrong in the world and it makes your stomach turn inside? Some of you lose sleep. When we hunger and thirst for rightness, we will be satisfied. But then Jesus brilliantly, right after that, what does he say? Because sometimes in our hungering for rightness, we become unmerciful, right? I'm right, you're wrong, deal with it. That's not mercy, that's weird. But then he says what? Right after that he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall, here it comes very personal, receive what? Mercy. Who wants mercy? Every day. I want mercy. I do. I don't always deserve it, but I want it. I want mercy. I want a calming ointment on my wounds, I don't want salt. And then he goes on to say things we looked at a couple weeks ago about this mercy. This whole sermon is encapsulated in forgiveness and mercy. That's the business of the Father. Matthew 5, 
48, a couple weeks ago, this was confusing, I tried to explain it. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, according to Luke, as your heavenly Father is perfect in being merciful. Because Jesus won't ask us to do something we can't do. You can't be perfect. I can't be perfect. He's supplied that in his death and resurrection for me, but he asked me to be, at least attempt, by his example, to be perfect in what? Mercy. We can be perfect in mercy. A lot of Christians don't want to hear that because that's the goal. We can be, because the Lord said so. In your daily encounters, be perfect in mercy. Now, whose help do we need? God's every day, because we deal with you. Or just, we deal with what? Human beings. And they are frustrating, right? You can, don't have to lie in church, you can nod. Human beings can be frustrating. So here we go, Matthew 6, 19, to our passage today. Jesus says this, Layla read it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I don't need to preach that. That's pretty obvious. What does Jesus say? Don't be a knucklehead. Don't be a dope. Deeper, a little bit deeper. Now, who's hearing this? Sermon on the Mount, Mount of Beatitudes. Way back when we talked about Mount Sinai, kind of dark and hard to get to, and you might need to climb for eight or ten hours. The Mount of Beatitudes, where the Sermon on the Mount was given, green, gentle, maybe a 45-minute hike, accessible maybe by all. Jesus in his crowd has... Dads who work for a living, moms who stay home. Moms didn't really work for a living back then, but they would make ends meet, so there's there too. Single people, married people, young people. We won't say old, wiser people in the crowd. That's who he's preaching to. Jewish people, maybe some Gentile seekers, some non-Jewish people. And then there's the Pharisees and no doubt the Roman officials. Let me say it this way. There's people like you at the sermon listening to Jesus. There's people like me off to the side, the pastors. And there's government officials. It's a hot topic. Some police officers, some military, kind of off to the side just checking things out. If this guy gets too crazy, we're going to have to call in the, uh, you know, the boys. So he's primarily preaching to regular folk. Spiritually poor folk, not professional Christians, not Professional prayers. Remember I mentioned, if you are always called upon to pray at a family dinner, you might be off to the side a little bit with me. But if you're a regular folk, Jesus is speaking to you. He's speaking to all of us, but that's the context, okay? And he says something like this. Do not base your life's work for the sole purpose of getting things because they will be taken away or destroyed. And the common folk go, say it with me, duh. I know that. Because guess what? In my neighborhood, sometimes things get taken. They're borrowed. There's not really a horrendous, culturally back then and even in a lot of cultures now, there's a much more neighborly policy, right? (laughs) I needed to borrow the salt. It'll be back. It'll be more full. But there's a great, there's a great unity when we see each other as what? Just folks, and not a certain way, 
and we are helping each other out. Now the people who might have had things might have been the religious people, me. Might have been some of the government people over here. Hi, government guys, you guys look good. So they would have heard this a bit differently, right? They would have said, wait a minute, just live life with common sense? That's not what we're about, and we'll talk more about that later. And here's why, I'll be honest with you, here's why the Bible is difficult to read. Your pastor just told you you are common folk in the story. Now I'm going to switch it up on you. We all live in America. Some of, us for, some of us for a long time, some of us for a short time. We all are relatively wealthy on the world scale, right? The world. There's different. Now, this is why the Bible is hard to read for me at times, and maybe for some of us. Because when I read this story, I immediately want to put myself as a nine-year-old peasant, commoner, Galilean, but in actuality, where my heart is and where we are as Americans at times is we are on the fringe in the story, and we need to hear some of the words that are hard. In the story, you know who I am? I'm actually a Pharisee or a Roman officer, culturally. That's, I'm not going to say where you are. That's where I am. And so I'm hearing this news going, oof, uh, can we get a way to take this out of the Bible? Can we, get a, can we get a new Bible over here? And culturally back then, what were they starting to say as Jesus taught more like this? We got to get rid of this guy from Nazareth. He's ruining things. Especially the empire, we'll talk about, especially the Roman government, they were, they were flying high still. If you read what was going on in history, they were it. So that's kind of the big context and how do we see this story? Jesus, this man sent from God, this good man, is proclaiming good news, and over and over again in the Gospels, he would say things like, I am here for the sick. I am here for those who are in captivity, metaphorically. I am here for those who are oppressed, metaphorically. Yes, sin, spiritual oppression, but Jesus was also speaking, now hear this, in an empire to a people who were living under the Roman Empire. Jesus preached the arrival of the kingdom of God that would break through cultural divide, imperialistic divide, economic divide, racial divide. He's preaching the good news. And he preached at times this revolutionary concept of God's ideal. Now, it's not what we think as a revolution because our country was founded on a revolution. That's not what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus is preaching about God's kingdom is this. Though you are raised in culture, though you are raised in a certain race per se, you're a race, though you're raised in a certain way of thinking, even nationalistically, I'm looking for you to obey my son because he's the only one and he has the only good news that transcends all cultures, all empires, all races. And that's what he's getting at. But if I'm a Roman, I would have probably have a small villa, not a huge villa. This would make me uncomfortable if Jesus taught like this, right? Because what he's saying is like, hey, Roman, me, in your small villa, if you're basing your life's work solely for that, 
you're going to be fooled in 50 years when you're gone. And that's the basic teaching. What happens to empires and what happens to culture sometimes? So Jesus preaches, and look what he says. Matthew 5, 47. I read a little bit of it, but let me read it more. This is the basis of the kingdom. This is the basis of his revolution in a good way, what God is breaking in. If you, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. That's what I read before. You, therefore, must be perfect we would say in mercy, in generosity, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here in my reading, my heart, my brain, is the specific problem that I have an issue at times with the Bible. In this account that we're talking about, again, I'm not a Jewish peasant. I'm rather part of the system. And then I look to our country. And hear me, I love our country. My father served in Vietnam. He served nobly. They called him grandpa because when he went in the first time, he got measles. He got sent out at 18. And then when he went back at 23, he was the oldest guy by a year and a half. Grandpa, think about that. He was 23 and he was grandpa. That'll give you a political view of what was happening. I think this country is the salt of the earth at times. I think we are a harboring light to the world. I think this country has done more for the world than it gets credit for but we are a country filled with humans, which means we also make what? Mistakes. But don't fool ourselves. Don't simply check off. This is where I get 10 minutes to really have coffee with you and speak my heart. We live in an empire. It's different than Rome, but the tenets are the same. You and I, especially if you were raised here, have grown up in a certain way. If you are over 60, let me say this to you. Thank you for your hard work and your dedication in building this great country to a certain degree, right? Things were different back then. Can I get an amen? They were. If you are over 50, thank you for your work and your hard work and your going and doing things and seeing all sorts of things happen in our country. If you're over 40, I am just barely. I'll speak, I can speak to my generation now. Let's not forget certain things that have happened to get America to where it is, but also learn. If you're 30 and under, don't be a slave, even in a good way, a believer, a good mom, healthy family. Don't be a slave to empire. Don't be a slave to what this country and culture, I mean culture, really when I say country, culture wants out of you, which is mainly your wallet. You get that? If you're under 20, a few of you, this is probably more pertinent, more relevant to you. And junior hires coming up here now. Nolan, Connor, Kayla, can you guys have a seat right here? Thanks, guys. I'm going to get a chair. Is that okay? It's hard when I stand up here. I'll be right back. Sit right there. Talk to each other. Say hi. So, guys, you're what? 11, 12, 13, 14? I'm talking and I'm back here. Is that weird? Here we go. I hope you hear the words of Jesus. And I'm going to wrap it up with not shaming anybody, but here. I'm here to tell you, as I know your dad has probably told you, there are systems in place to try and program you guys and your friends and even all of us to feel the need 
to acquire things to be made whole. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. I don't know if I need this, but this makes life a lot easier. In ministry, in family, in life, with pictures. But here's the issue. This phone, I got it 16 months ago. And from a technology standpoint, hold on. What is it? It's pretty much obsolete. And the new one comes out on September 7th. I already know. (laughs) So what I'm getting at is I would speak to you guys now, and this is what we'll all talk about youth group and whatnot, when you invite your friends September 6th, be there, don't be anywhere else. Anyways, okay? We want to just show to you the words of Jesus. You guys are worth more than the things you acquire. And Jesus would have you live your life not based on acquiring, but giving. That's the hard part. Whew. So when you guys grow up, and you're all very smart, and when God blesses you with hard work and brains and money and jobs, which you earn, there is a decision point, right? There's a point that we all get to make, and I'll get to speak to everyone because they're all awkward up here now, is do I use the things that I've earned? Yes, but God's also given for the work of Christ or for the work of me. And that's all we're going to talk about as we get through the rest of this passage. But I'm specifically bringing you guys up here because our country has changed a bit. And we've been very successful. And there's lots of companies who need to make money because they're companies. But at a younger and younger age, they are programming us with commercials and with all the stuff online to feel we need things to be good, to be better, to be adequate. And there's a certain shaming out there that if you don't have certain things, you're not good enough. But... We're here to tell you you're good enough, and Christ has a message for you guys and for all of us. So that's my pastoral encouragement to you. You guys want to stay up here or go back? Right? Oh, right here? We're going to be done soon. And this is the culture we live in. When I say empire, this is what I mean. I don't mean America empire. I mean culture. Some of you older folks are like, I'm not sure. Trust me on this one. We are in a sea of success and competition. So just see it. See it for what it is. It's a great time to be alive, by the way. It's not doom and gloom. It's a great time to be a Christian in Silicon Valley. It's a great time to have a smartphone. You can do amazing things with it. But Jesus' word is don't be a what? Slave to it. Don't let things own you. Be the owner of God's blessings. And when you own something, you have the judicious Right and judicious ability to say, I'm not a slave to that. I'm going to be generous with it. That's the whole point. I'm going to be generous with it. You are a generous people. Run hard in that. There is a certain bondage when we see things differently and just want to be accumulators that we go, oh, that's mine. I'm dealing with a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old in my house. You feel me on that one? And they're good. And they're working through, because then the ultimate word is to me as a parent is what? Well, they don't have jobs yet. Who gave that to you? Mom, dad, grandma, nana, pop, others. So since they gave that to you as a gift, but the hard part maybe for 10 years, 12 years, young adults is when you start working and when you start working hard and when you become successful per se. Just see the words of Christ, right? Don't be owned by things. Own them. I'm good. Yeah, I've, I've worked hard. 
I've done the right thing. I've got up early. I've been faithful. I've been successful. And whatever, and I don't mean successful as simply making money. In whatever lot you've been given, you've been successful. And when God blesses us with things, don't be owned by them. That is the way of the world. And if you don't believe me, I know it's easy to pick on America or Western culture or 2016. Go read history. You think this Roman Empire didn't have things? They were not barbarians. They were brilliant. They had everything we have, maybe outside the technology. They had running water. They had indoor plumbing. They had showers. What? Yeah. Go read about the Egyptians. It's been a part of our human condition from the beginning. And Jesus lovingly says what? No. This is the teaching that is hard for us. There is an alternative way. It's the way of the master. It's to follow Jesus' example. So here we go. Matthew 6.20. Jesus gives the alternative. Don't live as a duh or a dope, but Matthew 6.20 says what? Don't, piggybacking from last week, don't live as a practical atheist. Trust your heavenly father. He is good. He is for you. He is a rewarder. In 21, Jesus didn't have a mic to drop, but he might have dropped his sandal because verse 21 is pretty powerful. I mean, there it is. We know that, right? A lot of preachers like to say, uh, I don't need to know where your heart is. I'll just follow your checkbook. Whatever. I don't, would never say that. I just did, but I'm quoting someone, okay? That's between you and the Lord. But this is a true statement, right? Usually where we spend our time and our resources, that's what we value what? Most. And Jesus said it 2,000 years ago, and he dropped his sandal and walked away because people would have understood it. They wouldn't have had to parse the Greek. Sometimes we like to parse the language when it's hard to figure out. It's not hard to figure out. It's okay. Part of change is honestly reflecting and going, yeah, you know what? I spend too much time on PlayStation 4. It's, it's got too much of me. Yeah, I spend too much time doing this. Yeah, I, I, there's too much resource here. Oh, I should have brought Josh up here, but you're a wise sage back there, right? Josh is in college now. Next verse. This one gets a little different. We'll finish. We'll blast through it. I quoted this a month ago in a sermon too. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of There's a correlation here. That's why I'm going to finish up here. There's a correlation between your spiritual eye, Jesus is talking about you, and how it can get dirty. Keep going, Timmy. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light is in you, I'm sorry, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Basically, if you are deceived to believe that acquiring things and a consumer mentality is the end all to life, Jesus has to have more than a five-minute talk with you. He has to sit you down and take you through some things. Because that's been a great deception from day one. Go read the Old Testament. Their women are pretty and they have more things than us. Is it time to get them? It's time to get them. That's pretty much the story at times, right? They're, they're attractive. I'll say it that way. Their men are attractive because the ladies could have been on board too. And they have more gold than us. Let's go what? Let's go get them. Let's get them. Next verse. 
And this is, again, we don't need to overteach this. As I said before, Jesus says, if you're living your life for the sole purpose of acquiring, you'll be depressed, you'll fall short, you might get robbed, things might fall apart. And what Jesus is getting at is there is a Windex to the glass covering our spiritual eye. Big analogy as we finish. You are a soul. Jesus talks a lot about you being an eye or seeing clearly. There's a big plate of glass called life, and life brings everything, and sometimes it gets shaded, right? But what do we clean that with? The gospel, the blood of Christ, amen. But practically, how do I clean that? Jesus instructs us, and we'll finish with this. Me being a white pastor In a beautiful church in Silicon Valley, in middle-class America, I must clean the lens before my eye daily, and Jesus asked me to clean it in this way. He says, Dave, my teaching for you, Dave, is to be humble, to be hospitable, and to be generous. That's the Sermon on the Mount all based on God's forgiveness. If I've been forgiven, and if I've been cleansed, and if he's invited me in, God has asked me to partake in his business, if he's my father. The father's business, the family business. What's the family business in Christianity? Humility, first of all. You ever meet Christians that are arrogant? Whew. It's almost like we gotta go back to training school. Like, I'm glad you can tell me about all these things, but can we go back to preschool and talk about the baseline of our faith, you and I have been forgiven of heinous things. I hate to say it that way. God has said, my son's blood covered, forgiven, walk with me. The first thing we must learn from the cross is walk humbly, walk gently, be kind. And then a huge tenet in the New Testament, often overlooked, is hospitality. John, I, and others have been to other countries. You have too. When you meet a Christian in Sudan, you know what they do? They don't go like this. So what denomination do you belong to? Tell me your theories of the atonement and how it relates to us in 2015 back then. So do you believe speaking in tongues is still alive and active? They go, come on in. Let me make anything I can. And they usually apologize for not having enough. And at times we're like, are you kidding me? Thank you so much. Humility, hospitality. And what's the last thing? God has been so generous with us. He is patient with us. He's patient with you guys a little bit more than me because I've learned. But he's patient. He's kind. And generosity, as we've learned, remember Being generous was not just going one mile with the centurion, but going the, what, extra mile. And what was the teaching point? I am not bound by Roman law. I'm bound by my father's business so I can be, what, generous. (laughs) So let me, if you really want to stick it, no, I shouldn't say this. If you really want to stick it to an honorary person, be generous with them. Be generous. Go over and above. Proverbs says you will be heaping coals on them when they realize it. So walk in the way of the master. Jesus and God isn't opposed to us having things. He's opposed to things having what? Us. He gives us things at times so we can be humble. The world might go, there's an alternative way going on there. So we can be hospitable. 
open our lives and our things. And so we can be what? Generous. And that is, I would bet, in our culture, in Silicon Valley, which runs the world pretty much, you get that, right? It's crazy. That could be the first beacon where people might notice Christ in us, culturally, here and now. You are a generous folk, run hard in that. You are a humble folk, most of us, I'm working on it. Run hard in that. We are a hospitable church, keep being so. The next stage is what? Church outside of Sunday and being generous and hospitable where? This is the hard part, in our homes, and we'll work on that too. Thanks guys for being awesome junior hires. Well done, I'm gonna pray. It's over, look, it's over. There's lots of food over there. Say hi to someone. September 6th, Nolan, bring your friends. It'll be awesome. Bring your friends. It'll be awesome. Kayla, you'll be here. Shh, let me pray. Shh, let me pray. Actually, why don't we stand? Let's just stand. Get the blood flowing. We have a barbecue September 7th. It's going to be a little different. We're inviting all of the preschool and their families. Met with them last Friday. Um, and at the end, I'm just going to, from out there, pray for their school year. Okay? So, hold on. It'll be great. And uh, they're... A lots of young, fun families and a lots of kids. So if you love little ones, bring earplugs. We'll say it that way. Let's pray. Shh. Let's pray. Shh. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this family. Thank you for your son and his words. Thank you for the truth about money and about things, Lord, about acquisition. Help us see your good news. Help us be humble and hospitable and generous people as we go. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.